We're coming, we're coming to this book and where, where, the, where the context is, is this, is that Zechariah is a, a prophet, a post-exilic prophet, which means this, that the people of Israel had been taken into captivity, into Babylon. They'd spent 70 years there. The city of Jerusalem, the temple had been uh, destroyed. And after this period of Exile, the Lord had opened the doors and made a way and a portion of the people had come back to uh, the city of Jerusalem to re-inhabit the land and to re-establish their temple practices and their worship. The temple had, had started, they had started to build the, the foundation and all sorts of things and then under the uh, opposition of some of their enemies, the work had ceased. And after 15 years, both Haggai, the prophet Haggai, and the prophet Zechariah uh, appear on the scene, and they begin to encourage the people in the work of the Lord. We've seen this throughout this book, and, and now we're at this point as we come to chapter 7 that the work has been continuing for two years on the building of the temple, and we get the time frame here. It's in verse 1. Let's check it out. It says this, In the fourth year of King Darius... The word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the nine month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent uh, Sherezer and Reglam Melech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I've done for so many years? And so it's been, it's been actually two years if we kind of just move from, from um, Zechariah chapter 6 into chapter 7. Two years have passed. The work of the temple has been ongoing. And, and we read here that on the, the fourth day of the ninth month of King Darius, uh, Zechariah receives this vision. Now it's just kind of interesting to actually, we, we know what day that is. That's December 4th, 518 BC. 518 years before the birth of Christ. Now for, for two years, this work had just gone on. Zechariah had had his eight visions and had declared them to the nation. And the temple was actually uh, half finished in, in regards to its rebuilding. And so this delegation arrives from the city of Bethel and they arrive at Jerusalem with a question for the priests and for the prophets. They said, should we abstain from the fast that we've been doing in the fifth month or should we just uh, keep that up? Now, it's, it's interesting that this delegation comes from the city of Bethel because I guess we would just assume that as we read the story, as, as the exiles were returning to the land of Jerusalem from, or the land of Israel from, from Babylon, they were going and they were setting, settling in their ancestral cities, not just in Jerusalem, but in all the ancestral cities. And so here's this group from the city of Bethel. Now Bethel was, an, it's an interesting city. You know that statement in the Bible, maybe you've read it from Dan to Bethel, from Bethel to Dan, you know, it's like when you're gathering all the people of the nation, when we're gonna go to war, go and tell everyone from Bethel to Dan, we're gonna gather everyone, the whole country. And Bethel was a city that when Israel had divided, when they had split into a, a southern and northern kingdom, into the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, uh, um, under the leadership of, of Jeroboam, Jeroboam had taken the city of Bethel to be part of uh, the new nation of Israel. They had not stayed loyal to the house of David and to Solomon. And I just remind you, one of the things that Jeroboam did was this, is that he was, he was afraid that the nation was going to come back together. Oh, that, that, was, that was loud. That scared me for a second. And Jeroboam was scared. And uh, he did this. What he did was this, is he thought, I don't want the people to go back to the house of David and so I'm going to set up Bethel as a center for worship. So that instead of going to Jerusalem, I'll have them stay here at Bethel. And so the scripture tells us he did two things. Interesting, actually. He set up a golden idol of a calf in two cities, in Bethel and Dan. 
And the scripture tells us that Jeroboam took any man who would come to him who wanted to be a priest and he made them a priest. And the city of Bethel and in particular the city of Dan became centers of like total idolatry amongst uh, God's people, the people of Israel. And so here it's interesting now that these people have worshipped in Dan and Bethel prior to, to being in exile. But now they're acknowledging the spiritual supremacy of Jerusalem. That this is the God-ordained center for worship for the people of Israel. And the question in their minds as they come to the priests and to the prophets has to do with this, this fast. Should we keep up this fast? Now since the downfall of Jerusalem, the history is this, is that the people began to observe certain fasts. Now here Zechariah only tells us about one of them, but as we're going to see through chapter 7 and 8, there's actually four fasts that they were observing uh, since the fall of, of Israel. And Zechariah, as he answers this question, is going to give them an answer, not just in regards to this one fast, but in regards to all four of the fasts. Now the fasts were this. Let me tell you the, the, the four fasts. The first one happened in the 10th month of the year, and it, it commemorated uh, when the Babylonians had begun to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. And so it was a time of mourning when they would stop, stop eating and begin to pray that God would restore their city. And then when the, ne the next year would roll around in the fourth month, they had another fast that commemorated when the Babylonians broke through the walls of Jerusalem. Then in the fifth month, there was another fast. And this fast commemorated when the Babylonians destroyed the temple and burnt it to the ground. And then there was a fourth fast in the seventh month. And it commemorated when the Babylonians came and took over Jerusalem. They, they put in place a, a Jewish governor by the name of Gedaliah. And, and I can't remember, it was Jeremiah or Isaiah. It was Jeremiah who, who the Lord spoke to and said, uh, tell him that he's going to get murdered if he doesn't listen to what I say. And that's exactly what happened. That governor was assassinated. And so the fourth fast commemorated the assassination of the, of the Jewish governor. And so these fasts were a time of commemoration. They were designed in their purpose to lead the people to seek the Lord, to lament their past, to pray for restoration. And so now you think about it. They've come back to the land of Jerusalem. City of, the, the land of Israel, the city of Jerusalem is getting reestablished. The, the temple and the building of the temple is progressing and things are going forward and it was going well. And the Jews wanted to know this. Is it still necessary that we fast in regards to these things? Should we weep and abstain in the fifth month and commemorate, you know, the, the destroying of that first temple? Now, when you think about it, it's a reasonable question, right? I mean, it, it makes sense. Should we, should we just go on with this fast? Like, are we just keeping up appearances for the sake of appearances, so to, so to speak? We, we want to be real, Zechariah. We want to be real, genuine people before the Lord and in the terms of our religious practices. We don't want to do things that we're not feeling or profess things that aren't, aren't hitting us in the heart. So, you know, it's quite a reasonable question that they have. We're not feeling it, man. We're not feeling the fast. Like, should we be doing this thing? And I, I think there's a great application for us there because just for you and I as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, you know, the question is, is do, we, do we keep up form? Do we keep up religion for form's sake or for religion's sake? You know, you know how it is. Like, you could just get in the habit of doing things when the experience has left your heart. It's just routine. And it's just dead religion. And the reality is, is that nothing deadens your soul. Nothing deadens your spirit like maintaining just practices that should have long been stopped. Religious practices where the fire's gone out, so to speak. And so, inquire, so in answer to this inquiry in regards to, to these, these fasts that were observed, Zechariah is going to answer four different things. Uh, this kind of fourfold answer. And this question about the fast kind of overshadows chapter 7 and chapter 8. And so 
the first thing Zechariah says is this, if I was to summarize it, it's that these people needed to discover their motive in their fasting. And remember the former years. Check out verse 4. He says this, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink? Uh, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? What's Zechariah saying? What's the Lord saying to his people? He's saying, you need to ask yourselves why you do what you do. In regards to your religious practices, why, why do you do what you do? And that's, that's a good question for us. I mean, you know, why do we do what we do? Is it, is it, are we trying to relieve some guilt here? Are we showcasing our goodness? Are we trying to manipulate the Lord? Or are we just in the routine of things? Or do we have a heart truly to seek the face of the Lord? And it was necessary to, to first of all, deal with the hard attitudes of the people. And that's good for you and me because the truth is is that our relationship with Jesus is not a matter of traditions and rules so much, so much as it is a, a relationship of faith and, and love and a heart and a desire to, to please him and, and want to know him. I mean... Christianity and, and faith in Jesus is never meant to make us religious. That's never the heart of the Lord Jesus to just make you and me more religious. We, we, there's no issue with being religious here or with any of us. His desire in his heart is not to make us more religious, but to make us more relational with himself, to bring us into relationship. And the human heart is, is really defaults to this position all the time of religious works and religious practice and religious experience over relationship. You know, it's, it's, it's an immature thing in the hearts of humanity that, that people require religious regulations to say, you know, do this, do that, tell me what to do. And, and then they use these regulations to kind of measure the depth of their faith or what they think their spiritual life should look like. And, and, and what the prophet is saying on behalf of the Lord to the people of God as they, they come and, and ask this question is that, is that God wants you, people of Israel, and he wants us as church to to move beyond following rules into cultivating a heart relationship with our Savior. And so Zechariah says, what's, what's in your heart? You know, why are you doing what you're doing? I know it's easy, you know, set up some, some fasts and insist on some religious practices and it's easier to do that than to just actually bow your heart before the Lord to surrender your life to Jesus. And so the prophet reminds the people that these fasts were actually of their own appointing. God didn't ordain these fasts. The people established the fasts. They inaugurated them. And so as they inaugurated them, they also had the freedom to stop doing them, to discontinue. Check out verse 7. Were not these the words of the Lord that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? See the, see the prophets that ministered to the people uh, prior to the fall of Jerusalem had, had taught people the same thing that Zechariah was saying. That religious practices had to come from a right heart. That to worship God in any other way is, is hypocrisy. The prophets had always preached and always proclaimed that God desired obedience over sacrifice. Samuel was the first one who showed up on the scene and began to preach that message. That obedience is better than sacrifice. And the rest of the prophets just began to pick up that mantle 
and to proclaim that truth that obedience is better than sacrifice. And in former days, in Jerusalem, in the land of Israel, life was peaceful, right? It was secure. It was much easier to maintain the, the, the traditions and their peace and security than it was to have a, a heart relationship with the Lord. And so, so through Zechariah, the Lord declares this, you know, essentially, forget the rituals. Leave that religious stuff behind. As we're going to see, he's going to say to them, I want you to show mercy. I want you to be a compassionate people. I, I want you to have a heart, especially for the most vulnerable amongst you. And so Zechariah says, in, in, instead of living in the past, instead of living in past tense and mourning over calamities, why not, as a people, let's begin to live in the present. Let's live with a heart and a hope for the future and rejoice over what God has promised to do for his people. And so here's the second thing Zechariah declares in regard to whether certain fasts were to be observed. The prophet said this. He said, the Lord requires an inward righteousness rather than outward forms. Zechariah reminded the people that that the way of their forefathers was this, is that they routinely practiced religion, but they failed to hear what God was saying and obeyed from their hearts. Check out verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise against another in your heart. And so Zechariah says this, he, he tells the people that, that with whatever they do in regards to the fast, they should at least exemplify, I don't know, true religion, a true heart for God, which looks like this, render true judgments, he says. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Don't oppress the widow. Don't oppress the fatherless, the sojourner. That's the immigrant among you. The poor. He says, let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. If there's one that strikes me, it's actually that one. Don't devise evil against other people in your heart. That means this. Don't imagine evil about people. You know, we've, yeah, I, was just, I just feel like in my own life, this is an area where God's just been speaking to me over a long period of time, the last couple of years. There we, there we go again. Wish I had a Harley <laughs> one day. If my wife lets me. Um, you know, we, we can make great cases against people in our hearts and in our minds. Nobody else hears it. Nobody else sees it, but we know what's going on in our hearts. The Lord knows what's going on in our hearts, and we, we, in our imagination, just begin to build the court case against them. Analyze everything they say. Analyze everything they do. We bring it into question. And the Lord says this through the prophet. It shouldn't be like that. Like, don't devise evil in your heart against people. Don't in your imagination just be judge and jury against them. You know, I, th I think about this as, as believers, I mean, we're not to be foolish or to be ignorant, but I, but I think we should probably be accused of being too trusting. But don't imagine evil in your hearts against others, Zechariah says. Look at verse 11, he continues on. Speaking of their forefathers, but they refused to pay attention and, and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. Here. Check out verse 12. They made their hearts diamond hard. That's hard. Interesting that the scripture says that. They made their hearts diamond hard. Lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts. Had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore great anger from the Lord of hosts. Therefore great anger came from the Lord of hosts. Verse 13. As I called, they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them 
with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land was left, thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. Look at Zechariah just declares this. He he says it, it, it wasn't because you weren't fasting that the land was made desolate. It's because you made your heart hard against the Lord. It's because you wouldn't listen to his, it's his word. It's because you weren't showing mercy any longer. It's because you had willfully hardened your heart. And you know, it just makes me think of our lives. You know, if we wonder why maybe our walk with Jesus is kind of dried up. Why the heart and soul of our spiritual lives kind of seems desolate maybe. It might not be because you need to spend more time in prayer. Though you should spend more time in prayer. It might not be that you know this is about your quiet time or, or this or that. Though those things are important and can't be left behind. The, the, the real issue is never displays of spirituality, but it's our willingness to have a soft heart before the Lord, to show mercy, to have a heart of compassion, as he has a heart of compassion. New Testament tells us, love is always the key. Love is always the key for unlocking the work of the Spirit. You've departed from love, and you've lost the heart of Jesus. And the slide, like these people has made the slide into, they'd made that slide into tradition, tradition, my tongue's getting tied up, rather than just practical living for the Lord, practical Christian living. And I stumbled across this quote, I like it. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. You know, it's been said this, that, that tradition, it, it's meant to be a guide, not a jail cell. <laughs> and for these people, you know, they're asking, should, should we be doing this? Should we be fasting? I just think it's great. I mean, because I think we should ask ourselves that. Why, why do I do the things that I do? Why am I doing these things? Is this like benefiting my walk with Jesus or have I just slid into tradition? And so Zechariah implored the people not not. Not to, you know, stay in tradition, not to yield to the, an insensitive nature like their forefathers had had to be disobedient, but to have soft hearts, to examine their hearts before the Lord. He, and, and here as we come to chapter 8, he comes to, we come to the third thing that Zechariah declares in, in regards to whether they should continue with these fasts. And the third thing I would say is this, if I was to kind of summarize it, the he says, the Lord is going to restore his people to that which they have lost. You want to know if you should keep fasting? Well, I have a word from God for you, he says. God's about to restore that which was lost. Check out verse 1 of chapter 8. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with his staff in his hand because of his great age. Verse five, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. What great picture the Lord gives Zechariah. You know, as I think about we as God's people, one of the things about a relationship with Jesus is this, is that, I mean, we don't often live with, we don't live on explanations. That's how I like to say it. We live by promises. We live on the promises of God. That's where we put our hope and our faith. And, and faith and, and hope are nourished by God's promises and by the hope that is given us in the word of God in the scriptures. And that's why Zechariah says this. He's like, why are we talking about fasts 
and traditions and religious practices. Let's talk about the promises of God. Let's talk about what God has, has promised. Let's drop the discussion of traditions and let me give you a new message from the Lord, he says. Let me focus the eye of faith on the future and living right now, Zechariah says. Because God is going to do some wonderful things in our midst. And he says this, the city is going to be rebuilt. Old men and old women are going to be sitting around and resting and relaxing. There's going to be kids playing in the street. And here's the thing, it's not going to be because you were religious. It's not going to be because you fasted. It's going to be because of the sovereignty of God. Because he has a heart for his city. Because he is jealous for his name and for his city. It's due to his sovereignty rather than your religiosity. That right there, that should set you and me free to go, man, God, you're sovereign. And I love you for that. I don't have to manipulate you and I don't have to trick you and I don't have to do things to make you do what I think you should do. I can trust you. I can fast because I want to seek you and I want to know you and be in relationship, not because I'm trying to manipulate you. You know, as, as Zechariah begins to speak, we're going we're gonna to see here that what he talks about seems to be this kind of Already fulfilled, but not yet totally. I mean, what he is, what we're going to read here is futuristic yet for the people of Jerusalem. This has been partially fulfilled. And what we're about to read here is something that's not going to be entirely fulfilled until Jesus comes again and he rules and reigns on a physical throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And Zechariah says, The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls and they'll be playing. You know what that, you know what's beautiful? The compassion of God, the compassion of Jesus always centers on people, not buildings. It's like you're, you're focused on the temple. The Lord is focused on you. The Lord is focused on his people. And it's interesting that particularly, he says the Lord, the Lord speaks of the elderly and the children, the little boys and little girls. A city so safe where the elderly can leisurely sit in the streets and talk and relax and they're not in danger. A city so safe where children can play in the streets and not be in danger. You know, we, we've done our trips to Israel and uh, I have a few memories that are just like my own personal memories. You know, you visit the sites and this and that, but I find Jerusalem's an amazing city to wander around and one of my favorite pictures that I took is near the Western Wall in Jerusalem. There's kind of like this library. I don't think it's a synagogue to one side of it. And the men go in there and they're studying. And boy, you have the freedom just to walk in there. And so I always make the journey in and just wander through this library. And the Orthodox guys are there and they're, they're studying. And I, and I have this picture of this old Orthodox man. I mean, he's just hunched over. He's just everything that you stereotypically are envisioning in your mind right now, it's right. The long beard and the robes and the this and the that. And, and he's leaning against the wall and he's like sleeping. <laughs> I snapped his photo. And as soon as I did, he kind of woke up and he gave me heck. You know, it was Hebrew, so I didn't understand it. So I just kind of played dumb. And, and it reminds me of the scripture that the elderly will sit and they'll be safe. You know, Lisa and I were out with a crew one, one evening and we just decided that we would go during uh, some of our free time and wander down to uh, an area called Ben Yehuda Street. It kind of reminds me of Granville and Robson in Vancouver and there's live music and there's lots of life happening at night. And so we get on the, the rapid transit system that they have there to travel from our hotel to that area. And Lisa and I were stunned because there was these three sisters, the oldest one was maybe 10, and the two younger ones were four and about five, and they were traveling on their own on the rapid transit, and it was like nine or 10 o'clock at night, and I'm not exaggerating, and we were like, 
man, this is so weird. I'd never let my kid do that. Yeah, wow, it just seems like it's so unsafe. And it's like, in terms of all the things that you hear about Jerusalem and the Middle East, that's part of their culture, that the kids are safe at night like that, out on the streets. One time we were wandering around the, the old city and just through some of the corridors and we came around the corner and there was three or four boys kicking a soccer ball. And I jumped into the game and kicked the ball around with them for four or five minutes. And then Lisa and I walked away and I said, that's a fulfillment of what the word of God says, that boys and girls will play in the streets of this city. You know, in many of our cities today, the elderly and the children aren't safe, are they? You know, not safe in the streets, not safe anywhere. In our cities, you know, we, we kill the children before they have a chance to be born, a lot of them. When the elderly are no longer useful, you know, in our nation, we're looking for a way to get rid of them and to end their lives. That's not the heart of God. It's not the heart of the Lord. And that's going to change when Jesus returns. That is going to change when righteousness, when his righteousness reigns. The elderly and the children will be safe. It's interesting that Zechariah declares this because I just have to think. I mean, you have to think about the exiles returning to the land of Israel. I mean, what would have been the missing def- demographics? I mean, who would have been too little to travel from Babylon to Jerusalem? Probably the kids. Who would have been too frail to travel from Babylon to Jerusalem? The elderly. I, I mean, it was the middle-aged people who were strong and who were healthy and who could endure the rigors of such travel that had returned from exile. I mean, it, I, I imagine in their midst, it felt like there wasn't very many kids. So, man, we could just use some more elderly people in our midst. There wasn't many. I, I remember in our church, you know, back in the days when we, when we first started here, we used to pray that God would bring more elderly people to this church. Now we've got Greg. He's 70. <laughs> And, but we, I used to think that about this church. I used to think, wow, you know, we, we're like blessed, but we could use some more gray hairs in our church. And, and, and there was a time too when I used to think, man, we could use more young adults and we can always use more young adults. But I, I'm like, wow, God's like filled some of the missing demographics. And the Lord promises here through Zechariah, when Jesus righteously rules, there's no missing demographics. No one's missing. The children are there, the elderly are there, and everyone in between. And so verse 6, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of this remnant of of this people in those days, should it be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Lord says, I, I'm, you want to know if you should fast? Well, let me tell you, I'm about to bring my people back. I'm going to gather them from the east and the west, the people of Israel will be regathered. You want to know if you should be fasting and mourning? Well, let me tell you. He says, I will be their God in righteousness and faithfulness. I'm going to be the one who restores the relationship. You're, you're not going to restore the relationship through your fasting. I'm going to store the re- restore the relationship through my sovereignty. And then the the fourth thing that Zechariah begins to declare in regards to this question, should we continue with the fast, is is this. And I love this. He says, your fasts are going to be turned into feasts of gladness. Your fasts will be turned into feasts. Verse uh, 9 here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who... In these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the Lord of hosts was laid that that the temple might be built. He says, let your hands be strong. Verse 10, keep going in the work. 
For before those days, there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But verse 11, I love this. It's worth underlining. But now, the Lord says the season's about to change. But now, I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit. And the ground shall give its produce. And the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all things. You want to know if you should fast? Well, let me tell you what I'm about to do, says the Lord. A new day is dawning. Verse 13. And as you have been a byword of cursing amongst the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Isn't that awesome? The Lord says, man, you've been a, a curse word to other people, but I'm about to bless you. You don't need to fear. Be strong. You don't, you don't have to fast. Be strong and go about the work that I've called you to do. Verse 14, for thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purpose to bring disaster on you when your forefathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. Verse 16. These are the things that you shall do. You want to know if you should fast? Here's what I want you to do, the Lord says. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and that make for peace. And do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. I mean, this is awesome. They're, they're asking, should we be mourning? Should we be fasting? I mean, we're wondering, are we just stuck in some religious cycle here? And the prophet says, yeah, I gotta tell you, there's great prosperity coming. There's great things awaiting this city. There's great things awaiting the people of God. And these promises that he shares just reiterate the, the appeal that that we should speak truth to one another, that we should be people as followers of Jesus that are full of mercy and compassion and, and execute you know, righteous truth and judgment. We shouldn't devise evil in our hearts. That we shouldn't love false promises. That all these things should be put away in our lives as we follow Jesus. We just begin to set those things aside. And as you read this, it's, it's as though God had forgiven the past and his people is saying, that he's saying this to his people, I, I, I don't want you to mournfully dwell in the past. I don't want you to mournfully dwell in the past. I want you to begin to live today and look to the future and all that I have for you. Isn't that a great word? Like, I mean, when you think about that, that that's for us as well. The Lord does not want you to spend your existence mourning over the failures of the past. Mourning over the defeats. Mourning over the consequence that you, you, you faced for your sin and your hard-heartedness. He has hope for you. He, he wants to redeem that through Jesus Christ and his blood and the work of the cross. You don't have to expend your existence mourning over the past because the Lord and Jesus Christ has hope for you today. He has a plan for your future. It's interesting that it was Jeremiah who told that to the people as they were going to exile, into exile. He said this word from the Lord, Jeremiah 29, 11, that we all know so well. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Imagine that, even as the Lord was sending them into exile, he said that, I know the plans I have. You're wondering what's going on. I know the plans I have, and they're for your good. 
and for your welfare and for your hope and for your future. And that's still the way the Lord works. That's still the way his spirit works. That's the way Jesus works in our lives. Yes, the Lord disciplines. Yeah, sometimes we need a chastening. If like the people of Israel were, you know, profaning his temple, we're his temple. If we're profaning his name, if we're going after, like they were, a strange mix of gods bowing down to golden idols and Bethel and Dan. If in an unhealthy way we've, we've, we've mixed with this world or we've built unhealthy alliances and ungodly practices into our lives, boy, there's a sense in which the Lord can send us into captivity as well. But when we begin to, to benefit from the Lord's discipline and, and, and mourn over the past and return to him with heart and soul, he's a God who restores. He's a God who forgives. And when he restores us and when we have repented of the past and left that behind, his heart is not that we would remain mourning over the past and remain living in the past and with that framework in our, in our thinking but that we begin to lay hold of the promises that he's given us for the future. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a, a future and a hope. You know, when you realize this in your life, when you, when you go through that process with the Lord, you know, maybe he chastises you, disciplines you, takes you into a bit of captivity or whatever it is, and then you come to... You come to realize this. Wow, God's discipline is a wonderful thing in our lives. It's like the New Testament tells us. It's like, who loves his son and doesn't discipline him? You, you love discipline if it gets you on course and on track. His, it's, it's his grace. It's his love. Romans tells us it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And this is where the prophet begins to just share with the people the, the anticipation of what the future holds. The anticipation of what the future holds. Look, check out verse 18. And the word of the, Lord's, and the word of, the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth month and the fast of the seventh month and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love truth and peace. Oh, wait, we were only asking about the fast on the fifth month. The Lord says, oh man, it's way better than that. You don't have to fast. Fourth, fifth, seventh, or tenth. There are going to be times of partying for us. There's going to be love and peace and joy amongst us. The fast will become feasts. In the future, the Lord says, rather than abstaining from food and drink for the purpose of religious observance, we're going to feast. We're going to celebrate. We're going to come to the table of the Lord and we're going to eat and we're going to drink. What an exchange. Isn't that awesome? Like, isn't that awesome? What an exchange from the Lord from fasting to feasting? I mean, if you got the choice, what are you picking? The fast or the feast? I'm picking the feast every time. Every time. What a wonderful thing that God has blotted out the memory of the past. That's what his word says about you and me too, doesn't it? Our transgressions, he's removed them as far as the east is to the west. Thrown them into the sea of his forgetfulness. What a wonderful thing that God has blotted out the memory of the past. And not only has he done that, he wants to exchange uh, the anniversary of something bad in our lives into a time of celebration and feasting. That's incredible. He wants to switch the anniversaries in our life. And you mourn on this day. In your life, you know, maybe it's July 9th. July 9th comes. Caroline says, 40 years ago, what was I thinking? No, just kidding, Caroline. Maybe you mourn an anniversary in your life. And the Lord says, I want, I want to turn that into a time of celebration in your life. I want to redeem that 
which you mourn. You know, I would say to you this morning, think of your bad memories. Think of the hardest times of your life. Maybe you're in the midst of them right now. And consider this, that God wants to wipe from your memory the bad part of that. And he wants to reveal to you that those days he used them to shape you and to discipline you and to chastise you and to bring forth his character and the work of his spirit in you. Maybe you thought that was a day of great disaster and the Lord says, boy, you've misinterpreted this all along. I was working on your behalf for your good and for your hope and for your future. You know, it's hard to imagine, but when we view God's dealings with us, when we view the stuff we go through from the perspective of, of heaven, just like the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem, these, this delegation from Bethel was learning to do, that, that, that even the darkest days of your life can become a source and an an origin for happiness, for joy. You can't experience, I mean, this is just the truth. You can't experience happy days if you don't know what dark days are like, right? In the dark days, you, you come to know yourself, and you come to know your sin, and God weans and he reveals his grace and his sovereignty and his working in the midst of that. And he says, ah, let me restore. Look at verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come. Even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem. And to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue. Shall take hold of the robe of a Jew saying. Let us go with you for we have heard. That God is with you. Uh, This is speaking of a future time. that's not yet been fulfilled. I mean it's probably not that far away. The Jewish people should come to faith in Jesus. You know, and it makes me think about the, the modern attitude, right, of much of the world towards the nation of Israel and, and to Jerusalem, the, the anti-Semitism and the, and, and the hate and the attitudes that exist towards Israel. You know, a lot of people just believe that as a nation, they're, they're one of the, you know, representatives of what's wrong in this world and what's unjust. But the Lord says the day is coming when the world will see them as a blessing and they'll take hold of one another and say, let us go to these people because God's with them. God is there. You know, it's an awesome thing when God so blesses his people that that others want what they have. Others go, "I, I want what those people have. I want it. We've heard. We've heard that God is with you. To me, that sounds like what the church should be like, right? Shouldn't people be looking at us going, we've heard that God is with those people. I want to go there. I want to be a part of that community. When someone who doesn't know Jesus, they they should behold us and say that about us. Paul said that to the Corinthians. He he talked about when there was prophesying in the midst of the church and an unbeliever enters. 1 Corinthians 14. That he should be convicted and called to account and the secrets of his heart disclosed by the things that are being proclaimed and said in the worship and in the teaching. That falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare God is really amongst this people. That's what we want to be. That's, that, that's what we, well, it's because we're fasting. It's because we're doing this. No. It's because God is sovereign and we can just walk with him in relationship and learn to love him and follow after him and be full of people with com- 
compassionate hearts and mercy and love and grace flowing from our lives. You know, you think of the people of Israel and think of in this, this account here and think about our lives. I mean, right now in, our, in, in any of our lives, no, no chastening and disciplining of the Lord seems like a good thing, does it? When you're in the midst of it, it seems like, man, this, is, this sucks. This like grieves me. This is hard. But the day will come when we see the fruit of the Lord in that which he is doing in our lives today. And, you know, if you're in dark days, I just want to say to you this morning, the day is going to come. The day is going to come when you will thank God for these days. When you will thank him and you will recognize that out of darkness he brought light. You know, in the midst of your anguish, he birthed in you a joy that is not humanly. That out of trial, God blesses with his peace and with his presence. What does he say to this group of, uh, of men that come in question? question should, should we be fasting? What's this, man? Fasting? We're going to feast. We are going to feast. And I would say to us, his people, the church this morning, man, dare to trust God for those things. Dare to believe him uh, for the goodness and in spite of maybe what you're facing today in trials, man, they are, those trials are laying a foundation for the glory of God to be revealed in your life. Those trials are laying a foundation for the glory of God to be revealed in your life. That, that, that's the message of this chapter right here. That's the message right there, that, that we, we move from religion into relationship. We're people that are to be compassionate and loving and full of grace and mercy and that are to have soft hearts to the word of the Lord. Let us have soft hearts this morning to God's word with us. Let's pray.